Welcome, I'm Sirius Afshar, and this is the Wigo's Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. In this podcast, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the linkages between the informal economy and social protection, including debates around workers' health provision, pension schemes for older workers, as well as childcare systems and other social protection policies for informal workers in order to improve their livelihoods. And in this episode, we dive into the social aspects of COVID-19 vaccination and try to understand its impact on informal workers. How are they being affected by the policy choices? What are the barriers to access? And what does it have to do with the issue of economic justice? I discuss these and other questions with Christy Braham. Christy is Wigo's Workers' Health Coordinator. She's also a founder member of the African Network on Migration and Health and a PhD candidate in public health at the University of Sheffield. She has been working at Wigo in a research project about access to vaccination to informal workers around the world. Without further ado, here is our talk with Christy Braham. Christy, welcome to our show. Hi, Sirius. Thank you very much. So, Christy, let's start from the basis. Why is it important to discuss the access to vaccination to informal workers? So, vaccination against COVID-19 is actually by far one of the most important tools that we have at our disposal to actually bring the pandemic under control and eventually to, to end it. So this is really, really essential for the health of all of us in society. And that includes informal workers. Now, one of the things that's really, really pertinent when we think about informal workers is this pandemic has had a huge impact on informal workers globally. So at WeGo, we've just run the first phase of our study, which was rolled out across 12 cities across the world. And we spoke to more than a thousand different informal workers, whether they are street vendors, domestic workers, waste pickers, or, or home-based workers. And one of the most obvious impacts was impacts on income. Of course, there are impacts on the health of, of workers themselves and of their family members. But the thing that was most pertinent was the impact on their financial security. So just the fact that workers have been, in some cases, completely unable to work due to restrictions imposed by the state uh, to control the spread of the disease. And the fact that other workers who have been able to work have had their, their incomes really, really, really limited. And so if we're going to bring the pandemic to an end, which also ends the, the really pervasive financial insecurity that informal workers globally are experiencing because of the pandemic, then we really need to be considering the question of access to vaccination for, for these workers. It's really, really crucial. Mm, absolutely. So in which ways do you believe providing access to vaccination to informal workers is a matter of economic justice? So this is quite an interesting thing to think about, actually, because Throughout the pandemic, since you know March 2020, we've had this narrative of protecting health versus protecting the economy. And it's actually a very, very false narrative that health and economy are not in conflict. They are actually completely interdependent. And that's something 
that I think has been very, very destructive in terms of people's perceptions of what this pandemic really is and how we can actually overcome it. Now, we need to understand that in order to have a strong economy, you need to have a healthy society. And in order to have a healthy society, you need to have a strong economy. They are completely interdependent and they're not at all in conflict. And particularly in the context of this pandemic, you've got this idea of a health crisis, which is simultaneously also a crisis of care, but also a crisis of economy. As I've just mentioned, we've seen workers, largely informal workers, having their incomes completely desecrated by this pandemic. And we're seeing sort of decades of development progress on building up financial security amongst groups of informal workers being reversed. And so this is essentially an issue of economic justice or injustice, shall we say. And therefore, we need to be advocating for access to vaccination for these workers if vaccination is going to be the major tool that we have available to really bring this pandemic under control and get informal workers back to working the regular amount of hours, get back to having the regular amount of take-home income that they were having before the onset of the pandemic. And that's really, really important. We cannot achieve what we want to achieve, which is to control the pandemic without ensuring that informal workers are adequately protected. Mm. And to which degree informal workers are being included or not in national vaccination plans around the world? In many countries, the question of whether informal workers are to be included or not has just not been entertained. And I think part of that is because of the fact that the picture of informality can vary quite drastically. So, for example, if we're talking about countries like India or, or Ghana, where there are extremely high levels of informality, where you have up to 90% of the population engaged in informal labour, then it becomes easy to understand why that may not be a key debate that's actually happening at national level. However, in other countries, for example, South Africa, where it's less than 40% of the population engaged in informal labour, which is, of course, it's still a very significant portion of the population, but is significantly less than countries like India and Ghana, you know, you do have this ongoing debate about what it means to be included in the vaccination strategy as a priority group. And essentially, including or not including workers within priority groups or strategies for vaccination does come down to whether we perceive their work to be, you know, frontline essential work or not. So obviously, this debate is taking place in some countries and in other places it's not but we are starting to see some progress on that front so that does offer some glimmer of hope at least how do the national vaccination plans i.e strategies and prioritization vary and how those differences impact informal workers differently and does the debate about essential workers relate to the issue of access to vaccination by informal workers. Can, can you mention some examples where this debate is happening? So this is also a very interesting question. So as I've mentioned, there are some contexts where, you know, we don't really have this stronger debate or, you know, conversation around who is prioritized and who isn't. I think in general, 
many countries are broadly looking at older people you know, above the age of 65 or people with comorbid conditions and also health workers, which is more than fair enough. But of course, as I've highlighted previously, there are some contexts where we are actually, we are being invited to consider, well, what is essential work? So if you look at some national vaccination plans, you can already see some levels of stratification amongst so-called priority groups. So for example, let's take Philippines. So Philippines is also quite an interesting example because they clarified quite early on, as soon as, soon it was, as it was clear that um, you know, vaccines that had been in development for a certain number of months, you know, as soon as it was clear that those vaccines were being proven to be effective and safe and were there and were then being distributed globally philippines did um, make it clear quite early on that you know that there was a push to actually include informal workers so in the filipino context this conversation was around primarily vendors market vendors and, and people selling food food and vegetables and actually it was Quite earlier on, they specified that these vendors would be included as a priority group. Now, within their priority groups, they, of course, have, a, have an order. So generally speaking, across different countries, it tends to be sort of health workers by the top and obviously older populations, which in and of itself does include some informal workers. But then further down the list, we have other forms of workers. So, for example, we have people engaged in in tourism and then i think in position five we also have um those market vendors that i just mentioned so of course it, you know that does invite questions around how do you actually justify who is the highest priority or not but nevertheless the fact that we do have at least one group of informal workers actually included in that priority list is already a start and i believe that you know, there were also conversations uh, around other informal workers being included. So that's something that we can, you know, that's something that we should hope that local groups and municipalities and also the federal government will be able to make some progress in, in ensuring that those other groups don't, don't become excluded from these programs. Now, on this debate around essential workers, so as I mentioned, in constructing a vaccination strategy and deciding if you're going to prioritise and who you're going to prioritise, I've mentioned that it, it really invites that conversation around, well, what is essential work? You know, for a very, very long time, there has been a concerted effort to, to fight for recognition for informal workers as being essential workers. And then, you know, this, this predated the pandemic. But of course, you know, with the onset of the pandemic, it made these these conversations and these debates much, much more important. And it really sh it shone a light on what we consider collectively as a society to be essential work. And of course, informal workers have long been essential workers. But during this pandemic, you, you don't really need to look very far to, to see the essential nature of the work of informal workers. You know, you've got street vendors selling fresh fruits and vegetables while there were lockdowns. And you've got waste pickers who, who couldn't work from home, of course. You know, and they were, they were there taking all these risks on behalf of society at large by dealing with our waste and being key agents in, sustain, in environmental sustainability and not being protected for it. You know, you've got domestic workers who are so unrecognised, but are key care workers within our economy. They support the families and the households they work in 
and they provide a really, really crucial service and they literally save lives. And yet, again, unprotected and don't have that recognition. So I, I think this really has become a moment where we can, we can really sit down and, and start to reevaluate who is doing the essential work in our society and who is contributing considerably to our economies and, and, and really use those reflections and act accordingly. And I think this vaccination debate does actually provide an opportunity for us to really make those considerations and, and then come up with practical solutions for that. And what are the main barriers, globally speaking, for informal workers in developing countries to have access to vaccination? So one of the major barriers that informal workers in developing countries face, of course, is this huge inequity in vaccine provision across the globe. So we've seen, for example, countries such as the UK, Canada, the US, and various other high-income countries show lots of success with their vaccine programs. But of course, this is as a result of hoarding vaccines and actually depriving vaccines from being sent to other countries. And it does come down to a huge debate around intellectual property. So despite the fact that vaccines are fundamentally funded by public funds, you know, in developing vaccines, we we rely on volunteers from all across the country, including a number of developing countries, to actually take risks so that we can test the effectiveness of vaccines. Despite all of that, we're facing huge barriers of intellectual property, which is essentially depriving many countries in the global south from having equitable access to vaccination, where it's about getting access to the knowledge, the know-how of how to actually produce these vaccines as access to the vaccine products themselves but also other resources that we need so for example even syringes having the the required number of fridges to actually store the vaccines all of these things have to be taken into account because they are part of the larger equation and the fact of the matter is a huge portion of the global south is really being denied a lot of this. However, there is some hope on the horizon with increased pressure in, in recent days on Joe Biden to actually sign up to actually waive existing intellectual property regulations in order to allow lots of developing countries to, to gain more access to vaccines. So that's, that's a glimmer of hope. But I think at the same time, what's happening in India right now with this really horrible new surge of the virus and the new variant, I think that also brings us back to reality. And it really drives home this point that we really, really need to get on top of vaccination. And we really need to ensure that absolutely everybody, every country has access to these vaccines as quickly as possible so that we can eliminate the likelihood of future variants. And unfortunately, informal workers are in these countries. So we, we really have to get behind this strategy. What about the more immediate barriers for informal workers at national or subnational level? If we're considering what the barriers are that informal workers tend to face when accessing vaccination, I think it's important that we put it in the context of what barriers many formal workers have faced leading up to the pandemic. So, for example, access to healthcare it has always been an issue. So depending on the country context, informal workers often have really poor access to insurance schemes. And it becomes even 
more critical when you consider the fact that quite a few informal workers are, for example, migrants, migrants who have actually crossed an international border and therefore not citizens. And yet some of these schemes are tied to citizenship. So you can imagine that's inherently exclusionary to to quite a number of informal workers. But beyond this, there are other facets of access that you need to consider. You need some sort of clinic or hospital to have really, really inclusive working so schedules, working hours, etc. So one consideration is that quite a few informal workers go to work very, very early in the morning. And so if they want to seek a treatment or they want to seek a health service, they would often prefer to go before work and then obviously go off and carry out their jobs. But the reality on the ground is that a lot of clinics and and hospitals which actually take informal workers are not actually open at those times. And so that makes it very difficult for informal workers who, of of course, they can't just leave their work in the middle of the day to go and seek healthcare from the clinic because those hours lost seeking treatment also means lost wages. So that's one issue. Another issue, particularly pervasive in places like India and Thailand, this idea of coming from one particular province and then migrating to a city in a different province to work. When you then need to seek healthcare, especially if you're seeking longer-term healthcare when you have a chronic condition, for example, like HIV or cancer, or for example, if you're pregnant and you need to attend antenatal checks, it's really important that you have access to that service and that you can reach it in a shorter distance. However, in the cases of India and Thailand, we've seen for a long time that those informal workers who've migrated from their province of origin to another province are then told that they need to seek healthcare in their province of origin. And that's obviously very problematic because we can't expect informal workers to just travel, in some cases, hundreds or even thousands of miles to to seek healthcare. That's completely impractical and that is a huge barrier. Now, if we consider that those are sort of background barriers, then we would also not be surprised to know that some of these barriers, we, we can expect that they could be exacerbated in a COVID context. And we know this to be true, actually. So in the first phase of our WeGo study, looking at informal workers working throughout the pandemic across 12 global cities. We've actually seen within our data reports from informal workers, whether they are street vendors or home-based workers, these reports of being turned away from their local clinics when they're trying to access, for example, COVID testing or or some other healthcare need. Uh, And they're being turned away because they haven't been registered at that specific clinic in that province because they actually come from a different province. So I think that's just a a perfect example of background contextual barriers being put further into context and worsened in the COVID context. Another barrier, for example, is that we're seeing some countries, for example, Colombia, have made a very concerted effort to exclude migrants, for example. And when I say migrants, I'm talking about international foreign-born migrants. And that is also extremely damaging for informal workers who themselves are migrants, because we we know that migration and informality do do correlate in some places more than others, but there is definitely a strong connection there. So, of course, if you are purposefully excluding foreigners from a vaccination program, then of course you're excluding informal workers. And it makes absolutely no sense, essentially, because in order 
for all of us to be safe, we need to all be protected. We cannot just vaccinate one portion of the population and then exclude another. We, we can't do that because then we create opportunities for variants to emerge. And when variants emerge, we, we're reducing the likelihoods that the vaccines that we do have actually work against those variants. So it's in all of our interest that everyone is vaccinated, essentially. I see. And how do different social protection schemes could reinforce or reduce those barriers on the access to vaccination by informal workers? Can you identify some examples? So one particular scenario that presents quite an interesting case could be India. India is a, is a country of extremely high levels of informality. The vast majority of the population um, is engaged in some form of informal work. And in light of recent events with this terrible, terrible new surge of the virus, and this new variant that's appeared. Several states, which are the epicenters of this new surge, have declared that vaccination will be free for everyone between the ages of 18 and 45, which of course is fantastic. And so, so actually in India, the COVID-19 vaccination strategy isn't necessarily handled 100% by the, by the government. So what happens is, 50% of the vaccines are a sort of governmental reserve and the other 50% are given to states. So what essentially what they've done is they've liberalized the distribution of vaccines and allowed individual states in India to, to negotiate with the manufacturers of the vaccines. And so some states have come out and declared that within their state, everyone above the age of 18 and below the age of 45 will have free access to the vaccine but in other states, that is not the case. And that is quite worrying. I, I'm, I'm hoping that that changes um, with time and, and especially in light of the latest surge uh, and how destructive it is. But if you put that into the context of many informal workers in India not having any access to any insurance schemes and you know having to pay out of pocket, then you can imagine that in states where you don't have free vaccination on offer. The informal workers there, the poorest informal work, the poorest of all those informal workers will really be stuck. And it's, it's quite a worry for the poorest of those informal workers who can only pay out of pocket and risk their entire livelihoods just to receive some protection from the pandemic for themselves and, and for, their, for their families and their households. You know, that they're really going to be excluded if, if we continue down this path. Mm, okay, now to wrap up, what has been Wigo's role and what it has been doing to contribute to this debate? And what are the informal workers organizations have been advocating in relation to access to vaccines? So in the context of this debate around access to COVID-19 vaccinations for informal workers. At WeGo, we've really sat down and tried to tease through the issue. So we, we've decided to, to really try and make this a project that we pursue this year. This has been led by the Social Protection Programme and also our Organisation Representation Programme. As part of this project, we have decided that we want it 
to be about educating, informing and advocating. So, you know, at its core, what we want is to really, really get to work with other networks, other networks of informal workers. And of course, our membership based organizations, you know, that's one of the key things about WeGo is that we have this live connection to the realities on the ground. And that is through our membership-based organizations and this very, very vibrant network of informal worker organizations from all across the globe. What we're working with various different networks of organizations of informal workers on is some educational materials that, that can be shared amongst informal worker organizations in various different countries across the globe. And the idea for that is that, you know, it's, it's very, very brief information, which lets people know what the facts are and, you know, go some way to challenging a lot of the falsehoods around vaccination that are very pervasive, but also very dangerous. We really need people to understand that, that vaccination is safe, that these vaccines, despite them being developed in, in record time, uh, they are very, very safe and that their development wasn't uh, a rushed job. You know, it's the product of historic amounts of investment and decades of research into vaccine technologies that have actually led to this point. We really need people to know that these are vaccine products that we can trust and also that these vaccines are effective at helping us overcome this pandemic. That really is the key to a lot of the educational materials that we want to co-produce with the various networks and informal worker organisations. At the same time as running this project on education, we also want to, to utilise these educational products with organisations so that they can then have these facts to hand and then make the decisions themselves. But of course, in order to do that, people need access. And so alongside what we're doing in terms of education, we are also reaching out to informal worker organizations and supporting them in their advocacy activities. So for example, um, in Argentina, one of our mem membership-based organizations is really engaged with their, you know, their, their government ministries. Their engagement is about fighting to be recognized for their work. And it would come back to that idea of being essential and you know, having this essential work, having this frontline work recognized in the form of vaccination you know so we we're just we're hoping that we can continue to work with membership-based organizations and other informal worker organizations that really really want to do some work on this issue and really advocate themselves we want to support them in that because essentially vaccination is is an investment for them. It is. It's an investment. It allows them to do their work in a, in a safe manner. And up to now, they've been completely unprotected. And, and, you know, their activities on the ground, their really, really important work is, is going to be so key in actually achieving those goals and actually becoming protected as, as best they can from COVID-19 while they carry out their work. And so we want to support that. And of course, also keeping up to date with information on what's, you know, the goings on in terms of vaccination across the world from formal, as it relates to informal workers. And so it's really about education, advocacy and, and having a conversation and keeping that conversation going. And that's really what we're, we're doing at the moment. Uh, and that's what's keeping us busy. Christy Braham, thank you very much. Thank you, Cyrus. 
And if you want to learn more about the issues around access to COVID-19 vaccinations to informal workers, we will leave some links at the description of the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at your favorite player and follow Wego on our social media channels, Twitter and Facebook, to keep up with our most updated research and advocacy material on social protection to informal workers and more. I am Sirius Afshar, and this was the Wigo's Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. See you next time.